Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. The other day I was reading an article about clergy behavior during the pandemic, and I started to wonder what Jesus would do if, you know, he was just right now a regular old clergy person. Maybe on that first Monday of Easter, what would Jesus have done if he was just a regular old clergy person, you know? Maybe that first Easter Monday, Jesus would have slept in. After all, the week before was not only difficult, it was brutal. And um, uh, that was supposed to be really funny. But anyway, uh, so, uh, and then however, after that, if Jesus was just a regular old clergy person, I'm sure he would have made his way through the week and uh, visited the church pension fund and then um, announced his retirement because things were difficult, you know. In the article I read, it said that Duke Divinity had done a survey of about 500 clergy across 17 denominational lines. And one in every four of those clergy said that they planned to retire by the end of 2022. The other survey done by a firm hired by the United Church of Christ said that many clergy were in light of burnout, harder and longer hours, and the constant uncertainty of the future brought on by the pandemic, considering early retirement or a career move. In the article, one burned-out clergy person said, it's not that I want to quit my ministry, I just would like to reposition myself into something else. (laughs) Saying but not saying. So anyway, um, however, it's not just clergy, is it? that have experienced, you know, everything going on. And spiritually speaking, by Easter 3, the beautiful flowers have all wilted. The chocolate is consumed. The peeps are a little stale. And the only jelly bean flavor left is licorice. You know, you're like, oh, I'm going to avoid that one. So anyway, but it's like the joy and the wonder of the resurrection seems to fade in light of the pressures of work, children, you know, relationship. And I can feel as if maybe Jesus did retire. Maybe after the resurrection, Jesus bought an RV and took off to a celestial Alcapoco. Well, by this point in Luke's gospel, those first disciples know Jesus wasn't dead. And most certainly they knew that he hadn't retired. But what did it mean? The disciples are startled and they're afraid. They think they're seeing ghosts. But this is no ghost. This is a body. And Jesus, like he did to Thomas the week before, he shows them his hands and his feet. Jesus invites them to touch him. He's literally telling these shell-shocked disciples, I am real. I'm not a ghost. I am, hearkening back to Genesis 2, flesh of flesh and bone of bone, calling you to be my bride. And as Christians, we believe and we confess in the resurrection of the body, not orbs or spirits or anything like that. We believe in an actual, literal resurrection of the body. And this is my first point. Jesus is most certainly not retired but rather has now been bodily repositioned 
flesh and bone, as our resurrected, triumphant Lord. And for those wounds will forever mark him as the crucified one, the one who laid down his life for the sins of the world. This is the heart of Easter. This is the heart of our faith. And this is why we cry with great conviction every day of our life, Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. And despite what you may be experiencing or feeling, the resurrected Christ still says to you, peace be with you. Isn't that an interesting thing to say? Peace be with you. That's resurrection language. He's using that for a very specific reason. Because what he is saying to you is that death is defeated. Peace be with you. God is your friend because sin is defeated. And sin is forgiven. Peace be with you because as he demonstrates in his resurrection, your life is also restored and the grave will not hold you either. No, Jesus most certainly is not retired. He is alive and he is well and he continues to apply the promises of reposition or the promises, should I say, of resurrection to your hearts and lives today. And he does that by reminding us that he's given us those promises in water. He does that in the preaching of the gospel, and he does that in regular old bread. This is why what's happening on this beach is very significant, because it takes place around a meal. And in Luke's gospel, the resurrection of Jesus is always followed by a meal. As we prayed in our collect, Christ reveals himself in the breaking of the bread. And this is no different. In eating the fish, what Jesus is doing is he is providing additional emphasis to his bodily resurrection because ghosts don't eat. But in eating the fish... He also provides an illustration of the mission and ministry that his disciples will soon be engaged in. I'm indebted to Old Testament scholar Chad Bird and his work reading the New Testament through Hebrew eyes for this next point. But Chad points out that the Hebrew scriptures in the the Old Testament, the sea and its creatures were always emblematic of the Gentile world. For example... We all know the story of the prophet Jonah. It's all about a Jewish prophet running the other way from God's call to preach to Babylon or to the Assyrians. And he's running from God on a Gentile boat and then he's flung into a Gentile sea consumed by a creature that according to the scriptures like Psalm 144 and Isaiah 17 embody the Gentile nations. And there he spit up on the shores of his Gentile enemies remember in Matthew chapter 4, the most Jewish of the Gospels, the disciples are called, uh, Matthew quotes Isaiah 9, where the disciples are called on Galilee of the Gentiles, or in other words, Galilee where this sea is located is associated with Gentiles. They're being set up almost as 12 new patriarchs to go out and gather in the Israel of God. So now with all of that in mind, When Jesus eats flesh, or fish, the flesh of fish, I guess you could say, when he eats the fish, this almost becomes an illustration 
doesn't almost, it becomes an illustration of the fruit of his resurrection. That his resurrection has been accomplished. What his resurrection has accomplished? Namely, that the Gentiles, you and I, are now incorporated into that kingdom. You and I are incorporated into his body. You and I are as much a part of the body of Christ as that consumed and digested fish. And in that act, there they are around that meal, just like on the road to Emmaus. In that act, their eyes are open to understand. And he says all of the law, all of the prophets, and all of the psalms, in other words, the entire Tanakh, the Old Testament has now, it hasn't been replaced, it's been fulfilled. And so now the disciples will be sent out like Jesus to preach peace and forgiveness to all the nations. And this is my second point. Jesus does more than snack on fish here with his disciples. In eating the fish, Jesus demonstrates he's far from retired. But rather, he is now illustrating, he's giving a living illustration of his fulfilled mission. And by virtue of that work, by fulfilling all of the law, the prophets, and the psalms, he has incorporated the Gentiles into his body and is now sending these disciples off as eyewitnesses to proclaim the good news that they have seen and heard. This is John, how he opens up that whole gospel in his epistle in 1 John. He's like, that which we've seen, that which we've heard, that which we've touched, we now proclaim to you. Because with resurrection always goes sending out. And the same is true with us as disciples today. Resurrection and sending always go together. There's an ancient legend that, that emerged in the early church um, that uh, is about Jesus after his ascension into heaven. And as he ascends into his heavenly kingdom, he's met by angels and archangels, and they're all celebrating. The angel Gabriel asks him, you know, he's like, all right, we're ready to go to carry out your mission. You know, he's got everybody armed up, they're ready to go. And he's like, now that your work is finished, what plans do you have to ensure the gospel will spread throughout the world? And Jesus answers, well, you know, I called some fishermen and a tax collector to walk along with me as I did my father's will. And Gabriel's like, yeah, totally, I know about that. You're leaving it with them? <laughs> uh, what, what other plans have you made, you know? And Jesus replied, well, you know, I taught Peter and James and John about the kingdom of God. I taught uh, Thomas about faith. And all of them were with me when I healed and preached to the multitudes. And Gabriel, he begins to lose patience with Jesus a little bit. And he says, really? Now that's all well and good, but surely you must have other plans to make sure your work is not in vain. And the legend kind of concludes with Jesus' eyes fixed on Gabriel. And he says with finality, I have no other plans. Now, sitting where you're seated, that may sound like a retirement plan, but nothing could be further from the truth. For like that consumed fish, and also 
in consuming Jesus in bread that is his body, you and I are now that body of Christ on earth. Resurrection always is followed by sending. And we have met the resurrected Lord here today in the promises of water, in the word, and in bread. Think for a second how you came to believe. Someone told you. Maybe that telling was your grandparents bringing you or your parents bringing you to baptism. Maybe your parents dropped you off at the church for Sunday school. A friend was like, hey, come with me to church. Someone told you. And then you, in turn, tell others what you've been told. That's how it works. It's not the most efficient way to get things done. It may make the angel Gabriel nervous, according to the legend. But it's God's way. Disciples, broken people, sent into the world, sprinkled as salt over the earth, scattered as light into the darkness. This is my third point. Friends, Jesus has not retired. He now works through you. He works through you to proclaim a living word about a living God. And the dying and confused, messed up world doesn't need, what it doesn't need is religious opinions. It doesn't need mantras. The church doesn't need the latest Harvard Business School methods and programs. What it needs is one death and one resurrection. What it needs is Jesus with wounds and words of salvation. The one to whom Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms all testify to. The one who now sends you out to work through you. Jesus, your Lord and your God. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. Produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.